This is episode 573 of the Leaving Laodicea broadcast, and my name is Steve McCraney. As we move into the times Jesus spoke about in Matthew 24, we find ourselves almost inundated with deception from all areas of life. We are deceived by our government, by Hollywood, by the educational system, social media, big business, and unfortunately, by the church. But Jesus said this would happen. In fact, he warned us that many will come in his name saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. But that doesn't mean people will dress up in Jesus' garb and walk around literally saying that they are Jesus Christ. No, it's much more sinister. This means many will say they have discovered the true Jesus, they have deconstructed their biblical faith and embraced another Jesus, and if we follow them, they will lead us to the promised land of cultural acceptance. Do you see it happening? I sure do. And the phrase is called deconstruction, which is just another fancy name for apostasy or the great falling away that must take place before Jesus returns. Today, we will look at this deconstruction of one's faith and reveal that it is nothing more than good old apostasy as we discover what the church can do about it as we leave Laodicea behind. One of the events that take place um, towards the end time, uh, leading up to the end time, is of course what's called the apostasy. It's called um, this great falling away. We know this, and unfortunately for many years, including I've done this myself, we've preached the apostasy as where Christians who say, I believe in Jesus, now come over here and say, I don't believe in Jesus anymore. In other words, it's a public refuting of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is apostasy, that is a falling away, but uh, that's also rather black and white and it's easy to see. Satan is cunning, Satan is the father of lies, he's full of deception, disguises himself as an angel of light. So the more I begin looking at this and the more I begin seeing things in our society, I realize it's really not all that apparent. The apostasy that's taking place now and will only get worse is actually... um, much more sinister than that. Jesus warned us about it in Matthew chapter 24, talking about deception and false Christ. I've got just a couple verses here for you. Again, Matthew chapter 24 is Jesus' magna opus on um, the end times. Here's what he says in verse number four. This is after they asked a question, What will be the sign of your coming? What will all these things you're talking about take place, the destruction of of Israel and uh, the temple, and what will be the sign of the end of the age? And he answers that by first thing he tells them is deception will take place. Verse 4, Matthew 24. And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. Well, in what way? That's really simple. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. Many will come in my name and say, I am the Christ. For years, this was always preached and believed, including by me, that people will come up and they will stand up like they did during the 60s, during the hippie movement, 
when I was young and impressionable, and they will say, hey, I am Jesus. No, you're actually Charles Manson, but that's another story. I am Jesus. I'm the incarnation of Jesus. I'm the one you need to follow. But the more you look at this passage, the people are coming in the name of Christ saying, I am the Christ. That makes no sense that you would come in the name of something you're claiming to be and then saying you're a fulfillment of what you're coming in the name of. So it must mean something different. And the more you look at it, you realize by coming in the name of Christ and saying, I am the Christ, what they're doing is they're saying, I'm coming in the name and authority of Jesus Christ, and I'm telling you what he's like. I'm telling you what he accepts and what he doesn't accept. I'm revealing to you the real Christ. Verse number 11, it says, then many false prophets will arise and will deceive many. False prophets pointing towards false Christ or false views of Christ. And verse 23 through 26 even gets more detailed about that. Verse 23 says, then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there implied, there is the Christ, do not believe it. Why? For false Christ and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. And then he pauses and says, see, I've told you this beforehand. I've warned you ahead of time. It is that important. Verse 26, therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out, or look, he is in the inner room, do not believe it. The idea here is that false Christ and people coming in the name of Christ and saying, I am the Christ, are not simply saying, I am the physical reincarnation of Jesus Christ on earth, like some of the Mormon false prophets did, but instead they're presenting a false Christ a false caricature of Christ saying, this is what Jesus is really like. This is the one that you need to follow. I don't have the verse up here, but if you go back to the book of Jude, it talks about the fact that we're to contend earnestly for the faith once handed down by the saints. In other words, the original faith, the orthodox faith, the faith that doesn't change in time. And if you remember, of course, Jesus describes Satan as a master deceiver and the father of lies. So we know that this apostasy is taking place, and we find that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So if you'll turn there, this is a really incredible chapter in so many different ways. It tells us, you know, Paul was in this town of Thessalonica for no longer than 21 days, and he was already teaching them this stuff. What happened was after he left, some of the people had passed away um, and so they received some sort of prophetic message or a letter or uh, something indicating that the day of the Lord had already come, that Christ had already you know, returned on earth and they got left behind. And what about our loved ones who were dead? And so Paul is teaching them some things that must take place before Christ returns. He says, now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, coming of the Lord is the parousa, that's the second coming. The gathering together is the harpazo, the rapture, dealing with those two end-timed events. We ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by a spirit or by a word or by a letter, as if from us that the, the, the day of the Christ had come. 
because I'm going to sit here and tell you that that's not going to come unless this happens first. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. There must be a falling away from the Christian faith before the Jesus comes. And once that falling away takes place, it says, and then the man of sin or the man of lawlessness, the son of perdition, is revealed. And then it goes on to talk about who he is and how Christ will defend, defeat him. It talks about the restrainer being taken away. But what we're interested in is this word falling away. There will be a defection from the Christian faith. Jesus already talked about that before the Son of Man, uh, the Son of Man comes and before the Antichrist is revealed. So that's part of the birth pains that Jesus referred to. And the word falling away means to depart, to forsake, to abandon, or where we get the word to apostatize. There will be a defection from the Christian faith. Again, we always interpreted it, even when I was in seminary, is a lot of people who said they were believers will say they're no longer believers. That's not really true. It's a lot of people who said they believers will now invent a new Jesus, will come up with a false Jesus that they'll believe and they'll tell everybody else about it. And so what happens, the true Jesus, they depart from the true Jesus and embrace an apostate Jesus or the Antichrist, as we're talking about. First uh, Timothy chapter 4 talks about what happens at the end time also. So if you would uh, turn forward in your scripture to First Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Again, the Lord is letting us know what is going to happen at the end times, the times in which we live. First Timothy chapter 4. Now the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, expressly says so that you won't miss this, that in the latter times, some, not all, but some will depart from the faith. Some will no longer either claim to be Christians or claim that the Jesus they adhere to is the real Jesus. Some will depart from the faith, giving heed to the deceiving spirits and the doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, and having their own conscience seared as with a hot iron. There will be this doctrine floating around that comes from the pit of hell, this doctrine of demons, which will try to convince people that the real Jesus is a false Jesus, but this new picture of Jesus, this new caricature of Jesus, the Jesus we all like and we can all embrace, the Jesus that thinks like us, you know, he has the mind of us rather than us having the mind of Christ is the one we want to follow. And those people who follow it will have their conscience, their sensibility seared like a cauterized wound to the point that they will be hardened to the truth and almost impossible to convince otherwise. Jesus said, false prophets are coming. When you see this alternative picture of Christ, run, that's not who you're supposed to be following. Uh, we know from the letter to the church in Thessalonica, that this is a sign of the end times. And now Paul is telling Timothy in 1 Timothy that in the end times, in the latter days, this is exactly what's going to happen, and it is doctrines of demons. If you'll continue turning to the right, we'll go to the last letter that Paul wrote to uh, Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4. And we'll see that even before Paul met his death, 
He was thinking about the exact same things that were going to take place. Chapter 4, verse 1. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearance and his kingdom. Here's what you need to do, Timothy. Preach the word, the true word, because there's a lot of falsehood going on out there. Be ready in season and out of season to convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Why? For the time will come, the time we're in right now, when they will not endure sound doctrine. Jude said they wouldn't endure the, the gospel or the truth that was handed down to us from the saints that we're supposed to contend with, but according to their own desires, what they want to do, what they think is right, how they feel it should go, because of their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn aside their ears from the truth and be turned aside to fables. I love that, to fables. What will happen is they will turn their ears away from the true gospel, and they will be turned because of that. Satan always fills a void. They will be turned aside to fables. And the word fable basically means a tale which is fabricated by the mind that stands in contrast to reality. A fable is something that is not real, but we like to embrace it because it makes us feel good. And the Greek word that's translated fable is where we get our word myth and mythology. So, if I understand this correctly, at the end times there will be deception. That deception will be on the nature of Christ and the person of Christ. There will be a desire to create Christ in our own image, to make Christ politically correct, and uh, to, uh, to follow behind a Christ that is not really a Christ, but an apparition or a caricature of Jesus, and we're warned continually in various letters to watch out for that. So if that's true, then what's that going to look like? And what we'll do here is we'll take the same book and go back one chapter to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and see what he has to say about people during this time of this great apostasy, at the end times and the latter days. Here's what he says. Chapter 2, or chapter 3, verses 1. But know this, that in the latter days, not the days that they're living in, but the days that we are living in, perilous times will come. Well, how perilous will they be? Well, they're going to be the Romans chapter 1 kind of times. For men will become lovers of themselves, the selfie generation. They'll be lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers. They'll be disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving. They'll be slanderers. You've probably seen a lot of that take place in the media. Without self-control, they'll be brutal. They'll despise what is good. They'll be traitors to the truth, headstrong, haughty. They'll be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And he adds this at the end, but they'll have a form of godliness, but deny its power. Wow, so these people are not going to be just God-haters, atheists who proclaim, I don't believe in anything. Instead, they will have a form of godliness. 
They will claim to be believers, claim to have a relationship with God, claim to be Christ's followers, but they'll love pleasure more than, than him. They'll have no power of the gospel behind them. And the scripture clearly tells us, run from those people. Have nothing to do with those people. Do not try to confront them. Do not try to make them friends so you can schmooze them into the kingdom. From those people, turn away walk away. And this is what life looks like at the end times. So, would you agree with what we presented so far in this logical argument here? Okay, I, I see it happening. I see it warned. Jesus warned about it. Paul warned about it. It seems like it's warned in so many different places in Scripture that this is what is happening. So if it's happening, what does it look like? I mean, is it a church that abandons uh, biblical Christianity for some progressive Christianity, and maybe they have a woman pastor, and they've got gay and homosexual people on staff with them, and you know they have drag queens, queens come up and, and teach children's church in their sanctuaries. That's happening today. Is it, is it like that, or is it deeper than that? Is it more sinister than that? Is it, is it something maybe not as, as public as that, but something that just takes place inside one person until all of a sudden they apostatize and then they had this zeal they never had for Christ to tell everybody else about the new life and the new freedom they found after apostatizing their faith in Christ. And if this is part of the increasing birth pains of the end times, we should be able to see it with more frequency. And um, the final question is, if all this is true in the times in which we live, and by the time I'm finished, you will definitely see that it is, what can we do about it? What's our job? I mean, what, how can we, as James O'Keefe, the tweet I read to you, you know, evil is all around and we can't get away from it. How do we stand and confront this for the sake of our children and grandchildren and friends in the name of Christ? For I... Look at that. The word apostasy today has been sanitized and changed in our culture, and the word now being used is deconstruct. Y'all heard that? I'm deconstructing my faith. I no longer believe what I did as a little kid. Instead, I'm enlightened, and I've rejected a part of Christianity that's not biblical. That's what they claim. Really, it's you just don't like it. And what I'm doing now is I'm deconstructing my faith. And when I deconstruct my faith, I still love Jesus, but I don't love the biblical Jesus. Instead, I love this Jesus that I've created, this cultural Jesus, this, this Jesus that allows me to do what I want and think what I want and act like I want. Because after all, in the Laodicean church age, I am king and we're part of the enlightenment. So I think, therefore, I am. And so there's no power or truth out there higher than mine. So I started looking at um, reasons why people deconstruct their faith. Our apostatized still claim to love Jesus and love God, but the Jesus and God they're loving has nothing to do with the biblical Jesus. Instead, it's the Jesus that they just created. So I started looking at some of the reasons why people um, deconstruct their faith, why this apostasy is taking place. And it is a movement now in, I won't call it in Christianity, but it is a movement now that, you know, you can deconstruct your faith. That's like saying, hey, I had a, a, a gay relationship when I was younger. And yes, you're applauded. And if you say that, 
you know, I don't believe in that kind of stuff. You're canceled. And, and so people rallying around him. There's websites and there's seminars and there's books that are written about the joy of no longer believing the repressive regime we were all under, under biblical Christianity. Instead, Jesus has evolved. Jesus has become woke. And, and now we see Jesus with bright, shining colors rather than just in black and white, because that's how God really is in our culture today. Here's some of the reasons why people um, deconstruct their faith. And I want you to listen to these very carefully. The first one is this. There is no absolute truth. None. You have your truth, and I have my truth, but there's no absolute truth. Christianity is based on the fact that there is a finite truth. That truth is God. God is God, and we are not. God calls all the shots. God lays down all the rules. God lays down the requirements. God gives grace. God gives mercy. It's all about God. But if there's no absolute truth, then I can make my truth myself. In other words, for me, you know, I believe this way, but for you, you believe that way. And it's okay for you and okay for me, even though our truths are diametrically opposed because there is no absolute truth. And if there's no absolute truth, there's no reason for me to follow an absolutely truthful God. So I'll create my own. Number two, when it comes to the Bible, context has more to say about truth than truth itself. In other words, I mean, let this one sink in. In other words, you have to take the Bible and you have to read it in its context. In other words, what Paul was saying to women and their role doesn't really fly today because if Paul was living today, he would say something different than he said back then because this is a different context. So therefore, anything in the Bible I don't like, I can trash and throw away because that was their context and our context is different. The scriptures are the living, breathing uh, changing document that changes with time because there is no finite truth and truth is relative to the time in which we live. Truth conforms itself to culture rather than culture being either affirmed or judged by truth. Make sense? Third belief, and these are people who have had bad experiences, the church and Jesus are the same thing. They're always the same thing. And so therefore, if I'm hurt by church, or I reject church, or I see flaws in church, which is run by humans, then therefore the same thing applies to Jesus. But church and Christ are totally different. The church tries to become like Christ, but Christ is off the chart, and the church is struggling to catch up. It's not how they believe, and sometimes they use their church experiences to justify their rejection of Orthodox Christianity for something that feels a little bit better. Number four, the Bible is not inclusive. The Bible talks about sin and righteousness. The Bible talks about a wide path and a narrow road. The Bible talks about a tree that has good fruit or bad fruit, light and darkness, life and death. The, the, the Bible is black and white. You're either in or you're out. The Bible believes that that's the right way and all these other people don't, but I feel more inclusive. I feel like that, you know, I, I can't judge this person over here because of their beliefs or their actions and stuff of that nature. So since the Bible and the church, if it follows the Bible, is, is not inclusive, I mean, either love or hate, I mean, it's pretty clear that uh, how God responds. Since it's that way and I'm more inclusive, then I'm going to reject 
biblical Christianity and embrace this kind of gummy bear Christianity where everybody's happy and everybody comes together and God loves everybody irrespective of the sin that they commit. What's the point of Jesus dying? What's the point of his paying the penalty for sins? What's the point of righteousness if every sin is okay? Uh, you, you know, don't ask, don't tell, to quote the Bush administration. And I have questions. And I have questions. And I go to the Bible, and I look for those biblical answers. And if I don't find the biblical answers uh, in the Bible that I accept, this is a whole evolution deal, for example. If I don't find the, the reasons or the answers in the Bible that I accept, then if there's no biblical answers that I accept, then there's no answers at all. So therefore, I, why, why would I adhere to something that doesn't give me the answers I want to have? It does give you answers. Whether you accept them or not is, is up to you. And so what I'm going to do is just reject that altogether and find my own answers. My brother did this. You know, we're having, I shared this with you. We're having this conversation about my mom, and I was asking him about an afterlife. Do you believe in an afterlife? Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah I, I believe in an afterlife. Is our mom consciously present in the afterlife? Consciously? Uh, yeah, sure. And then I start asking him questions, and he's making this stuff up as he goes. What's it based on? How I feel. It just works for me. It'll change tomorrow, but okay, it's pretty good. So yeah, I'm a believer, but I'm not a believer based on the Bible. I'm a believer based on me because I can live better in my sin with a, with a theology based on me. And so if I was a strong believer before and moved into that position, it would be said that I had deconstructed my faith or walked away from the repressive regime of God. The faith once handed down to us by the saints. There's a few other reasons why people deconstruct their faith. And this is based on experience. I've been hurt in church. So have I. So have I. And when I get hurt in church, I realize that people are flawed. I'm flawed. You know, my dad was the consummate pastor basher when I was growing up. And church is not Christ. Church is trying to become more like Christ, but we're all on a different trajectory, and we all have our sins and our, our problems, and we do the best we can. I mean, I've been hurt in my family. Have you? But we don't reject our family. We don't walk away from that and start to live in a hole somewhere, just away from everybody. Been hurt by a boss. Well, that means we're never going to get a job again. But these people, sometimes they blame, because they equate Christ and church together, they blame their, their hurt on their reason for their deconstructing their faith, or they come up with one attribute of God, and that's the only one they hold on to. And that attribute, by the way, is always love. God loves everyone, which is true. Scripture teaches that. But not everyone goes to heaven, and not everyone goes to hell. God loves everyone. Jesus died on the cross for everyone's sin, but in order to have your sin atoned for, there are certain things that you and I must do. But not to them. No, he loves everybody. And if he loves everybody, I should love everybody. I love, I love people who believe in Jesus. I love people who don't believe in Jesus. I love these homosexuals and these abortionists over here. I love these people over here who are trying to, to, to convince my boy he's a little girl. I just love everybody. But the church 
And then the Bible is so black and white that it doesn't fit with me. And so since I've only taken one attribute of God, love, and interpreted it any way I want to, which is like this, you can do anything you want, I'm going to deconstruct my faith. Or, uh, you know what, I uh, want to enter into a immoral relationship that the Bible says I can't. And I've been warned that that's a bad thing to do, but I don't care because I have a certain sin and I'm going to hold on to that sin. And if God loves me, he'll love me just like I am. And I'm going to be arrogant about it. But you know what? If I'm confronted with God's word versus my desire, then obviously my desire wins. So I'm going to have to deconstruct my faith. I'm going to have to walk away from what the Bible says. I'm having problems with God on that particular issue. Otherwise, uh, I'm, I'm caught in this dynamic. And so it's easier for people in our culture today to embrace the sin because it makes me feel good rather than hold on to the God which demands righteousness. Plus, um, if I deconstruct my faith, I get to talk on the podcast. I get to be popular. I, it's, like, it's like if you want to find the most accepting group of people on the planet, go to a bar on Saturday night. I'd really rather not, I know, but if that's where you want to be accepted, those are people who are real accepting. You know, if you want to deconstruct your faith, yeah, those people will accept you, and that's fantastic, and it really doesn't matter. But if you claim to be a Christian, things get a little more difficult. Things get kind of tough. And there's a, there's a price for that, especially as we get closer to the return of Christ. And finally, I have my feelings, and the Bible says one thing, but my feelings are more important than what the Bible says. And so therefore, since I think, therefore I am, since uh, I don't believe there's finite truth, then I'm going to have to reject those people and God himself and his word that claims to be finite truth because it conflicts with my feelings. And in a narcissistic society, my feelings are most important. Can you see all of that? That's exactly what's happening to people. Some people that you know, and if you don't know them now, you will, that are walking away from the faith for that reason. So I wonder if this is what the great apostasy looks like. It's not somebody standing up and walking over there and saying, I no longer believe in Jesus. There are some people who do that. And then we say, well, you know, John says that the reason why you went away from us is you really weren't part of us in the first place. And if you've apostatized your faith, it really means you weren't saved in the first place. And, you know, the Bible talks about that. But what they say is, oh, I love Jesus. I love him more now than I ever had before because I feel this freedom by loving him and I'm closer to him than I ever had before. But it's just not the Jesus of the Bible. It's the Jesus that thinks just like I do, feels just like I do. He conforms his life to me. And it's really hard. It's really hard to convince someone who thinks they're closer to God than they ever have been, but the God they're following is not the God of the Bible at all. I've shared this man with you before. This man is named Joshua Harris. And in homeschool groups, he uh, wrote this book called Why I Kiss Dating Goodbye. It was a popular book that, uh, that uh, a lot of homeschoolers adopted the idea of a courtship instead of that nature. Uh, Justice read this book and had a big impact on his life. And, and he, uh, after he, he published this book, he went to a pastor a church and the church was having some issues and problems. And so Joshua Harris decided, and it was kind of a big deal, I think in 2018 or 19, Joshua Harris decided, I don't want to be a Christian anymore. So I'm apostatizing my faith. 
And he walked away from Christianity, resigned as pastor of the church, divorced his wife, that always happens, embraced a gay lifestyle, that seems to always happen, and now he lives up in Toronto, Canada, and he's really big in the LGBTQ, XYZ movement and all that kind of stuff, and feels better than he has before. And as a matter of fact, I read to you years ago when this happened, I read to you his statement about his rejecting his faith. He said, I used to see things in black and white, and it kept me in bondage. But now I see everything in a rainbow of colors. And yet he has walked away from Jesus, the biblical Jesus, again, divorced his wife. Uh, he's now a, he has embraced the homosexual lifestyle, and this is what happens when you apostatize your faith. These guys are Rhett and Link. Y'all know them? Uh, the Good Mythical Morning thing, my kids used to watch this, they're pretty funny, it's got a big YouTube channel, and one by one, uh, first it was uh, Rhett and then Link decided that they no longer wanted to be Christians anymore. So I, you know, if you read their account of that, what they say is, I met all these other people when I got out of church, you know, especially people in Hollywood, like gay people and people of different persuasions and stuff of that nature. And, and I realized that I really like those people and there's no way God wouldn't love those people just like they are. So it changed my thinking and I decided to be more like them. And so both of them have uh, walked away from their faith. They have dragged their family and their children with them, and they are making it a point in their life to see that uh, everybody experienced this deconstruction, which is a positive word to them, apostasy, the biblical word, to experience love and joy like they have. This is Lecrae. Lecrae was kind of the uh, first person that made... Um, that's not really true. It is kind of true. He popularized a Christian rap, and he was very popular in the beginning. In the very beginning, his music was like right on. Uh, some of the lyrics were, but then he got hooked up in the Black Lives Matter movement and the um, um, George Floyd kind of thing. And, and now he went through this, I've deconstructed my faith a year and a half ago. And if you talk to him right now, it's like talking like to a Democratic operative. You know, still claims to be a Christian, yet his music has changed, his lifestyle has changed, his feelings have changed. And it's a positive thing because I'm no longer black and white. Instead, I embrace these political, social justice things, and uh, that makes him a better believer because it's not about serving Christ and going to heaven. It's about changing things here on earth today. This is Barnabas Piper. This is John Piper's son. Um, very noteworthy pastor, a former pastor um, up in Minneapolis. Uh, he has uh, walked away from his faith years and years ago and stands as like, like this bastion of uh, non-Christianity, has written books and gone to conferences, and um, you know, he doesn't care. Uh, this is the way I was raised. And you know, I can't think, other than John MacArthur's son, I can't think of somebody who's more grounded than he was and yet turned around and walked away from it because that's where freedom is. I just don't believe in the biblical Jesus anymore. I believe in the Jesus that I have created myself. And if you go through and summarize all these together, you will find in our culture today that there's just a couple areas that causes people to deconstruct. One is um, the, um, what the Bible says about the role of women and men. 
A lot of women uh, deconstruct their faith because they just no longer believe that what the Bible says is the role of a woman instead of they want the role to be what they want to be. They deconstruct because they don't like the patriarchal system set up in the scripture where God is presented as a male. Maybe God's not a male. Maybe God is a woman, you know, and they don't like the fact that a husband's ahead of a household and wife and children fall up under that. They don't like any of that kind of stuff. There's a rejection against the purity movement of the 70s and 80s where Christianity tried to uh, really focus on seeing that uh, our loved ones weren't swept away by this sexual culture or as the Boniface option talks about global homo. Do you ever come across that word yet? You know, they're swept away by all of that. And so therefore there were promise rings that were given and, you know, ceremonies where a father would give his daughter a ring and she would promise to remain chaste and pure until her wedding day. And on that wedding day, she will take that ring off and give it back to the father. And, and he will then, you know, she will then have a wedding ring from her husband. And that was even portrayed in Courageous. And all of a sudden, that's done with. And then, of course, the whole science deal where you know, a lot of people deconstruct their faith because they believe in evolution or they believe in what science says. And in their mind, they don't accept the biblical answers. And so therefore, the Bible can't be true. And if it's not true about everything, it must not be true about anything. And so they walk away from that. And a lot of people deconstruct their faith because of Trump, because of political reasons. Because evangelical Christianity, which they view as the right-wing arm of Jesus Christ, actually embraced Trump against the Democratic position. And since that happened, and they hate Trump, and they don't like Trump because Trump sends out mean tweets and all that kind of stuff, that therefore they walked away from Christianity because of that. And it's just bizarre. So um, let me tell you, when you walk away... What this movement teaches, this is, uh, these are the things that happen when you walk away. And I'll draw this to a close. One, that uh, your feelings are more important than truth. Two, you must divorce Jesus from the Scripture. The Jesus you believe in cannot be the Jesus revealed in Scripture, because the Jesus revealed in Scripture is totally different than those people who deconstruct their faith, the Jesus they claim to follow. Three, I have to reject any biblical teaching that counters my feelings or beliefs, and I must accuse the Bible of being written by men, and therefore it's not authoritative and it's not inerrant. must be full of errors. Because if I'm going to follow Jesus that's not of the Bible, then I have to trash the Bible too. So my Christianity is based on some feeling that I have towards somebody I know nothing about from Scripture and his word that affirms he is who he is. And four, I must embrace the popular trends of society, such as wokeness or transgenderism, even though the Scripture condemns them. It doesn't bother me the Scripture condemns them because I'm now rejecting the Scripture and embracing the trends in society. Five, I must accept as virtuous the things the Bible declares as sin. We find this really prominent regarding homosexuality. And the gay life. I mean, these poor people, they were just born that way. These transgenders, they were just trapped in their bodies. God made them that way. And if God made them that way, then, then, then God's going to obviously bring them into heaven. Why would God not bring them into heaven if uh, they're made that way? And Because I've rejected what the Bible said, and now I'm reviewing the, viewing those people as exalted and virtuous. Number six... I have to elevate my understanding based on some 
esoteric experience or a doctrine of demons. I have to elevate my understanding of Jesus without the scriptures because I've rejected the scriptural Jesus. So he's going to be whatever I want him to be. He's going to like whatever I like. He's going to think whatever I think. And he's going to affirm whatever I affirm. And seven, wow, this is Christianity. It's not about being like Christ and suffering persecution for being like Christ. It's not like going to heaven. I can experience all that on earth. I can embrace this Jesus where there's no commandments, no rules, no, no heaven and no hell. I have this perfect freedom to do anything I want and think about anything I want and embrace anything I want and participate in anything I want with no judgment of all because whatever I do, Jesus is going to embrace it because I've created him in my own image. Can you see the allurement? Can you see why people would find this popular? What are we to do? What's our job when we see this happening? Or even if we don't see it happening, what is our job? If you've been reading the Boniface option, the Boniface option says that we no longer hide in our cloistered little homes, but we have to take the battle to them. The gates of hell, which is holding out the church, cannot prevail against the church because the church is pounding with the light on the door of Satan to bust that door open and bring his captivities into freedom. So what are we supposed to do? This is the verse that we've already read that Paul told Timothy he needed to do when he saw these dark days approaching at the end times. He said, you're to preach the word, the word, the word, the Bible, the word of God. And you'll be ready to do that in season and out of season, whenever God calls you up. And what does that preaching look like? He gives three words here. Convince, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and teaching, which means you have perseverance and teaching implies longevity. Convince, rebuke, exhort, preach. Not being mandy-pandy and don't say anything and you do your thing and I'll do my thing, but... When we see our loved ones being carried away into darkness, our job is to come against that. Four words here. Preach, convince, which is really a bad word. Other translations do that better. Rebuke and exhort. I want you to see exactly what these mean in the Greek. To preach means to herald and to proclaim and to announce publicly with your mouth to your friends and neighbors and family. It's a proclamation of truth. It will bring with it consequences, such as rejection and cancellation and people getting mad, but nobody gets saved or changed unless they hear the gospel that's supposed to come from us. And what does that gospel look like? Convince. It's not what you think it means. It means to convict or to prove one wrong and thus shame them. Ooh, that's aggressive, very aggressive. That's what it means. You know, I just feel like, you know, I was, I used to be a guy, but I just had this woman inside of me, and, and now all of a sudden this woman's taking over, so I'm experiencing transgenderism, and I really feel great, and I'm taking, you know, puberty blockers, and pretty soon I'm going to have surgery, so I can be the woman God wants me to be. Are you out of your mind? That's a mental illness. But we never say that. Instead, it's, oh, okay. And I'm not going to say anything about that. We'll just laugh about them later on and convict, prove, 
Prove that you're wrong and you should be ashamed for how you're thinking because there is finite truth and I've just proclaimed it to you. Rebuke. That's another harsh word. It means to reprove or punish or charge. And finally, exhort is when change takes place or when someone says, I know, but I just don't know how to get out of it. I I need help with my besetting sins. We're there to give comfort and aid to the casualties of Satan's war. This is what the Scripture teaches. This is not what the church promotes, but this is what the Scriptures teach. So what do we do? It's the Boniface option that we can no longer be silent. We can no longer just because of a relationship let these people get swept away into apostasy or into unbelief and be lost forever because we have the light and have been commanded to share it about him. Amen? This is the times in which we live. This is exactly what Jesus prophesied about and it's only going to get worse. Let me pray.